Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Today, as we continue our way through the book of Joshua, we will see how God was faithful to His promise to Israel as the remaining seven tribes each received their allotment of land. part two of Cheryl's message titled, The Faithfulness of God. These truths, these truths of God, fulfilling every promise and all his word is portrayed before us in Joshua 18, 11 to Joshua chapter 21. What we see first is that the remaining seven tribes all received their allotment. The tribe of Benjamin We see that his portion falls in Judah's allotment because Judah's area is too big for the whole, for the tribe of Judah to completely settle. And this is something I love about the tribe of Judah. They are so willing to share. They're like, hey, it's so big for us. We just kept getting land and we have so much. Why don't you come and take some of this? They are enthusiastic about the promises of God. They are enthusiastic about what God has given and what they have claimed. And they are so willing to share it with others. For Judah, it is all about building the kingdom of Israel and not the tribe of Judah itself. They are zealous that all the tribes come into their inheritance. Next, we have the tribe of Simeon, which also receives an allotment in the area that Judah has settled. Next comes Zebulun, and they go north of the other tribes to the northernmost area, just west of the half tribe of Manasseh's allotment. This is one of the rich agricultural areas of Israel today. And it is not too far from the sea, interestingly enough, as was prophesied by Jacob over Zebulun in Genesis 49, verse 13. Next comes Issachar, And he settles near Zebulun, just north of Manasseh and south of Galilee. It is a plain of rich soil and edges on the Jordan River. Then Asher, which is the coastal region, what is now Lebanon, has beautiful vistas and great for seafaring. Next comes Naphtali. And Naphtali settles along the western bank of the Galilee, all the way up to the headwaters of the Jordan, where there are abundant water supplies. Today in this area, there are orchards of bananas and mangoes and avocado and also many wild deer. Next comes Dan. Now, it's interesting when you look at Dan's allotment, 
with the prophecy given in Genesis 49, 16 through 17. It says that Dan will judge his people, but like a serpent that bites the horse's heel and causes the rider to fall backward. Dan's original allotment was near the sea, what is modern day Joppa, and it was part of Judah's greater allotment. But he didn't like his allotment. He didn't like, he was bordered originally by Manasseh and Ephraim, Benjamin and Judah, which would have been a safeguard to the faith of Dan, staying strong with God, you know, if he was surrounded by his brethren. But we read in Judges 18 that Dan did not like their allotment. And so they sent a company of men searching out a different allotment. And they went north. They followed the Galilee and went north of Galilee, even north of the other tribes, and settled in the area which is now called Tel Dan or the area of Bashan. And this is the area that they went to. They didn't go to Joshua or Eliezer or Shiloh and say, you know, we really don't like this allotment. Could you cast the lots again and see if there's a different area that we could come? No, they went rogue on their own as if to say, God, you're not going to give us what we want. So we're going to have to get it for ourselves. And it's a very sorry sordid story that you read in Judges 18. They even chose their own priest and their own gods, which were idols, uh, to give them a different territory because they did not like the territory that God gave them. And according to Judges 18.1, they never, ever settled the allotment that God gave them. Later, during the time of Jeroboam or Israel's rebellion against the house of David, it is Dan and this area of Dan where the idol, the calf idol is set up and it becomes a center of idolatry and brings a stumbling block to all of Israel. Later during the time of Christ, it is called Caesarea Philippi. It was the area where Dan settled in. And Caesarea Philippi was known as an idolatry center and had um, temples to all sorts of false gods. So we read, this is what Dan did. After Dan, the final tribe to take their allotment, an allotment that they didn't like, Joshua then takes his inheritance in the tribal allotment of Ephraim. Joshua chapter 17, verses 15 and 17 through 18. And he built a city in the mountains, Timnath Sarah, um, which means extra portion. He sets an example for his tribe because he had told them that they were to go up to the forest and clear a place. And I love this. At 80 something, Joshua shows his tribe, the tribe of Ephraim, how this is done. And again, as he had instructed them in Joshua 17 verses 15 and 17 and 18 to go up and clear away in the forest and go to the mountains, this is exactly what Joshua does.
Next, we find in chapter 19, verse 51 of Joshua, that the tabernacle of God is set up of Shiloh. This is going to become a constant for all the tribes of Israel. They are able to go to Shiloh. It is accessible to all the tribes. It is easily reached. It's available. Anyone can come to Shiloh at any time. Not only that, but every Levite will be required to spend a portion of their year serving at the tabernacle in Shiloh. And what will that do? Well, it's like going to school, taking refreshment classes, and it's an opportunity for every Levite to be fresh in the ways of the Lord and in the word of the Lord and in the will of the Lord. The tabernacle holds the Ark of the Lord, which is the emblem of God's covenant with Israel. And at the tabernacle, there is a copy of God's law so that anyone in Israel can go to the tabernacle and be refreshed in the law of God. You know, they don't have to say, well, what does God want? They can go to the tabernacle. They can speak to a priest and they can look at the law of God. The tabernacle is the place where daily sacrifices are made for Israel's welfare. There will be peace offerings, burnt sacrifices, sin offering, trespass offerings, grain offering. It's the place where intercession is made for every tribe in Israel. In fact, the high priest ephod has a stone representing every tribe. Every tribe is remembered daily before the altar of God, prayed for, interceded for. It is the place where all the men of Israel are required to come three times a year for feasts, for the feast of Passover, for the feast of first fruits, or what is known as Pentecost, and for the feast of tabernacles. And these feasts are meant to continue Continue to unify Israel that they might all be for the Lord God, to remind Israel of their shared history, that they worship the same God and foreshadow and prepare them for their coming of their Messiah. So God, we see, has already given them these safeguards, the safeguard of the tabernacle. The safeguard now comes of the city of refuge, Joshua chapter 20. Here is another safeguard. These cities of mercy, these places of safety for those who have killed someone unintentionally or accidentally. These cities, these Levitical cities that are throughout Israel, three on the west of Jordan, three on the east of Jordan, provide safety for the slayer, the person who accidentally killed someone from what was called the avenger of blood, that family member that sought to avenge the death of their father or their mother or their brother or their sister or their cousin. There were certain provisions in order to come into these cities. The killing must have been accidental or unintentional. No previous enmity, no motive for murder. You would go if you were somebody who accidentally killed someone. You would go to the city gate. The Levites would come out. They would hear your case, these elders of the city. And then they would decide on whether or not you qualified for the safety that the city of refuge offered. 
These cities were to be marked out by clear roads. There was a godly influence in these cities. They were Levitical. They were run by the Levites. They were held by the Levites. And the Levites were those who knew and upheld the law of God. These cities included Kedesh in the upper and western portion of Israel, Golan in the hills northeast of Israel, Shechem in the very middle of Israel, Hebron on the southwest side of Israel, Ramoth Gilead in the middle eastern section of Israel, and Bezer in the southeast corner of Israel. This is where the accidental slayer of blood would be saved. And they were to stay there until the death of the high priest. And only then could they return to their tribesmen and their inheritance. In Joshua 21, we see the third safeguard, spiritual safeguard of God to Israel. And this is spiritual leadership that was placed throughout all Israel. We are reminded again that the Levites had no tribal allotment. They weren't given a certain area where they could all congregate and be together like the tribe of Judah, like the tribe of Simeon, like the tribe of Manasseh and Gad and all the other tribes had these areas that were just for them and their family and their family members. No, the Levites inheritance was God. And we're told that they were given cities in each of the other tribal allotments. So the Levites were given cities among the Judites. They were given cities among the Gadites, among the Zebulonites, among the Manassites, among the Ephraimites. They were given cities so that the Levites were spread throughout Israel. This would safeguard the spiritual nature of Israel itself because the Levites would be among all the people. They again were continually going to the tabernacle, being refreshed in the law of the Lord and the word of the Lord and the sacrifices and the ways of the Lord. And they would come back and remind the people of the way and the word of the Lord, that they would teach the people and keep them mindful of God's ways and God's word and God's will. There were 48 cities given to the Levites all throughout all of Israel. In these chapters, we see that God not only gives his promises, fulfills his promises, settles us into his promises, and does not fail in giving us his promises, but we see that he also sets up safeguards to those promises because it is our natural propensity once we are given these promises to neglect, to forego the way of God, or to even be like Dan and begin to dislike and resent the ways of God or what he has given us. So God sets up these safeguards. God did not want Israel simply to receive and settle into his promises. He wanted them to live daily in his promises, in the goodness of his promises. He wanted Israel to experience the blessing of his promises. He wanted to showcase Israel to the whole entire world to say, this is the nation that God 
blesses. Or as we read in the Psalms, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. God wanted people to look at the nation of Israel and say, why are they so happy? It must be the God that they serve. Why are they so blessed? It must be the God that they serve. And so in order to do this, God gave them safeguards that they might stay in these promises so that these other nations might see the goodness of the Lord and turn and believe in God himself and come to salvation. But God also wanted to give Israel these blessings that they might pass down to the next generation. Remember how God gave the blessing, the promises to Abraham? And what was Abraham to do with those promises that God gave him? He was to pass those promises to Isaac. Isaac then has the promises. What is he supposed to do? He's to pass them down to Jacob. Jacob has the promises. What is he to do with these promises? He's to give them to his 12 sons. Those 12 sons have the promises. What are they to do with those promises? To give them to their sons. And so on and on and on to give the promises. God fulfilled all his word to Israel as we read earlier in Joshua 21, 43 through 45. All that God promised, he did. The lapse to possession was not on God's part. He fought for Israel. He directed Israel. He drove out the enemy before Israel. He gave them rest. God was faithful to his part of the covenant. And God even provided necessary safeguards so that Israel could remain in the land, so that Israel could be blessed in the land, so Israel could be an example to the nations, so that Israel could pass down the blessings of God to their children and to the next generation. God gave Israel their allotment, specific placement. God gave Israel the tabernacle or the constancy of his word. God gave Israel cities of refuge, protection, and mercy to resort to. And God gave Israel godly leadership, putting these Levites all throughout the land of Israel. God, knowing their natural propensity to take the promises and run. He knows also our natural propensity to simply take the promises, the answers to prayer, and then go rogue, go independent, safeguards our faith with his word, his church, and godly leadership, just like he gave Israel the tabernacle, the cities of refuge, and the Levites scattered throughout the land. You see, we are not to be lone Christians. Proverbs 18.1 says, He who isolates himself rages against his own soul. You know, we live in an age of isolation. Funny enough, with cell phones and internet and Facebook, sociologists are saying that these things have not actually brought us closer or unified us as a nation or as a people, but actually have created greater division and more division than ever and isolation because of all the social internet, because it comes into our house and it is a substitution for social interaction. 
person to person. I find on Facebook, people say things that they never would say in person because in person, you feel a person's heart. You see their face and you feel. But Facebook and these other things, they cut us off from feeling. We're only thinking and feeling about ourselves. and It's cut us off from touching and feeling and and sensing that in other people. And it's made us more self-centered and self-willed and self-dependent. We need the safeguards that God has given us. We need the church. We need the fellowship of the church. It's a safeguard. You see, when we neglect the safeguards that God has given us, we jeopardize the ongoing blessing of God and his promises in our life. God did not give us the church, spiritual leadership, or his word, the Bible, in vain. These are necessary to our spiritual health and well-being and to the blessing of God on our life. He knows, God knows, what we need And he has supplied us with exactly what we need for spiritual health and spiritual blessing. We need his word daily. We need his church and the fellowship and the teaching and the refuge of the church. We need his people. We need fellowship. We need friendships. We need accountability where we can talk to each other, where we can be heard, where we can feel the heart of other people. We need these so we might continue in his promises that God's blessing might rest upon us and that he might make us an example to the people who don't know God, to the world, that the world might look at us and say, wow, I can see God's blessing on their life. I can see God's promises and that we might be able to take the promises of God and pass them down to the next generation to have testimonies. God, help me here. God, help me here. God is real. We need these safeguards. God is absolutely true to his word and he desires not only to give us his promises, but to keep us in his promises. In Psalm 16, five through six, we're told that God is our inheritance. This is what David said. You, O Lord, are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance inheritance. When we utilize the safeguards God has given us, we are going to realize that our inheritance is good and God has not failed in one iota of all the good things that he has promised us. His word is true. It is absolute. But this is it. Are you using the safeguards God has given you? Are you pulling back? Are you beginning to neglect? Are you beginning to feel negative towards the church or towards the things that God has given? I would say then you need to take these safeguards. God did not give us the church or godly leadership or his word in vain. We need this. We will never be able to truly understand, appreciate, or hold on to the promises God has given us unless we take advantage of these spiritual safeguards. 
the safeguard of his word, the safeguard of his church, the safeguard of godly leadership. We are welcome to as much of God's promises as we will claim, settle in, maintain, and hold fast to through these spiritual safeguards that he has given us to ensure that the promises of God just keep coming and keep coming to us. Don't you want all the promises of God? Don't you want to be like Judah? Like, oh man, I have so many promises. I can't possibly maintain all these promises. Let me give you some because I'm overflowing with the promises of God. That's how I want to live my life. Don't you? Don't you want to just be overflowing with promises that you have an abundance just to give away and to pass down and tell others about? That's why God has given us these safeguards, not to limit us but to make us unlimited in His promises. God knows our propensity to go rogue and independent. That is why He gave us the spiritual safeguards of His Word, His church, and godly leadership. God has supplied us with exactly what we need so we can spiritually thrive. We need His Word daily. We need the fellowship of believers and the teaching and refuge of the church. These are essential to our spiritual health and well-being so that we can receive the blessings of God on our life. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at the consequence of self-righteousness as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.